another episode of Minority Reports Podcast and Digital Series. I am your host, Mona Shake, you guys. I'm very proud uh, because I voted. That's right, as an American. That's I practiced my freedom. I want to keep my freedom, so I voted, you guys. So I hope you guys are going out there and voting and not wasting your vote because your votes count. They count. It means something. We have to hold on to our democracy is what I'm trying to get at. Anyways, today's guest is fabulous okay his resume is like a mile long if i start reading his resume uh that's like an hour long so that's like that's too long so this is so um i'm just gonna give you a brief intro about this amazing guest we have today uh he's an award-winning writer and director his films have been screened at many of the top festivals around the world and uh he is the director of the new movie that is going to be coming out soon called Evil Eye with Sarita Chaudhry and Sunita Mani, and I'm very excited about it. Please welcome Rajiv Dasani. Rajiv, welcome, my friend. How are you? Hi there. Very well. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Man, uh, I'm reading your resume, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I gotta take a nap. Like... <laughs> I totally hear you. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit of a workaholic, and I have to admit, it is, uh, I, there's a lot of things I do, a lot of hats I wear. It's hard not to kind of keep on trucking, but I, but I enjoy it. So thank you. I mean, it's amazing. Now, Rajiv, uh, you uh, and your brother are twins. We are, yeah. We And we actually um, write and direct together. So we're like a directing team. So we co-directed, um, or rather Ilan Dasani, uh, we, we co-directed Evil Eye together. Um, but we're identical twins. We look exactly the same except that he has long hair right now. So if you see like a making of the film, you'll see I have the short hair, he's got the long hair. That's how you tell us apart. So Is that on purpose? So there's no confusion? Is that what that's for? I think so, yeah. He just, he, he grew it long a couple years ago and uh, it just kind of stuck and it, it made sense, you know, because when we were younger, people would confuse us constantly. So it made sense to kind of like have a differentiation. <laughs> got it. And so who's yeah. older? Uh, I'm older by, by six minutes. So, uh, oh, wow. very small amount of time. Yeah, <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't ready for it. It's usually like a minute or three minutes. He's like, That's right. like six minutes. I'll exactly. Be. Is exactly. he late? Is he late to everything, Rajiv, or what's his deal? <laughs> I think I'm more late than he is. Ironically, so so I think there's like kind of like a mixed bag of it. You know. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got yeah. it. And, mm-hmm. and now you guys are uh, born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, we are. We we rushed. So we were born in Nashville, but we grew up in North Carolina. So I grew up in like Raleigh and went to college at UNC Chapel Hill. So like, yeah, I'm I'm very much a Southern boy. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I love it over there, and it was really wonderful to kind of be out there. But I definitely I came out to California about ten years ago, and honestly, I really love it here. And it's it's honest. I mean, I really enjoy living on the West Coast and have ever since. So it's been fantastic. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the lifestyle in Los Angeles is somewhat, it's almost unfair how much <laughs> everyone do it. It's almost like, it's almost like a na-na-na-na-na to the rest of the country. <laughs> it is true. I, I've definitely been known to, um, uh, like, during the wintertime, like, send screenshots of my weather app to my friends in New York or Toronto when it's, like, frigid cold and snowing. Yeah, and, yeah. and they see it's like, ah, oh, it's like 85 here and we're going to the beach. And, you know, so. Precisely. <laughs> As yeah. someone who uh, grew up in New York City, uh, I i mean, look, I was done with New York City. So I'm like, no more. I don't <laughs> sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't, yeah. don't invite me in the summer and don't invite me in the winter. I am not showing up. Yeah, yeah. It's very intense. I mean, I, I enjoy the snow, but only for short periods of time. I'm not someone who wants to kind of live in those locales, to be honest. So I very yeah. much have 
you know, California is a very ideal climate for me. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, LA is perfect because you went to USC, right? I did, yeah, yeah. So when I came out here, I went to USC for film school for for grad school, and um, basically, yeah, it was really an amazing experience. I actually loved being there, and so many of my classmates are now filmmakers and executives and CEOs. I mean. It's so crazy. I just pitched uh, on a TV series where the the head of television at this big studio was like someone that we were just like palling around. You know, she she produced my like short film in at, wow. at USC. So I just I love that. That's kind of what LA gives you. It's like you sort of have these these yeah. you know networks blossom. You know, it's been great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. did, did your brother go to USC too? You know, he didn't. We we kind of, you know, we didn't plan it this way, but it ended up working out really well. So um, when I came out, I went to school and he essentially started working in, in the industry directly. So he was working for uh, doing graphics on, on, on TV sets and doing various things. And so when I got out of, out of USC, he had yeah. made all these connections to producers and line producers and, uh, you know, all different people, directors in the business itself. So we kind of merged like my skills and my contacts from school with his contacts from like working on sets. And that also honestly served us really well. We ended up kind of being able to leverage that to a lot of different, I mean, part of why our resume is so long is we worked on a lot of TV shows over the years. Sure. Our connections, which has been really, really great. So. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's amazing. And, and does he live in LA too or where does he live? He does, yeah, yeah, he does. He he lived in Toronto for for quite a few years uh, because we were working on the show Covert Affairs that uh, was shooting in Toronto. So and we were both doing a lot of work on it. So I was in LA, he was in Toronto um, for like I think four or five years. But he's now back in LA, and now we're and of course this year it's been a bit uh, different because of COVID. So it's you, everyone's kind of trapped where they are, so to speak. So man, COVID has um, COVID has just really changed everything Rajiv, how much of a difference are you feeling that covid has had the impact of course i mean look um i can tell you as a stand-up comic like all oh, my shows are canceled my tours are canceled. sure sure it really mm-hmm. kind of decimated my business how yeah. for you guys sure yeah um it's been very intense i mean honestly it really has affected the industry in a huge way um yeah. we got very lucky in that we finished shooting right before kind of quarantine dropped. So we were, we basically finished shooting. We were able to do most of our editing with our, with our editor, Christina Grobler. Um, but basically, basically just around when we lost post in, oh, all our sound and color post um, over like Zoom and, and uh, web chat and like that kind of thing. So that was really intense in terms of the industry itself. Yeah. It's been really, it's been tough. I mean, I think everyone is with this weird mix because, you know, we, we do a lot of work uh, for the streaming services. So Amazon, Netflix, and these companies, they've had a huge boom because everyone's at home watching TV, but at the same time, it's been much more difficult to shoot, Um, you know, doing sets in general, it's been harder, all the, all the, you know, protocols and quarantines. So in that sense, it's just, it's, it's become very complicated to, um, set up a movie to shoot a TV series. So we are working on things, but everything is harder. Everything's more expensive. And also a lot of things have been developing. So a lot of scripts being written, a lot of TV series being developed, but um, all the streaming services now have kind of a backlog of scripts and of shows that they've developed. So it's more difficult than it's been to sell to, to them, whether movies or TV series. So that's kind of been the hardest part is just trying to figure out how to navigate the, you know, this new world. So. Right, right. I mean, I would, I would think that they would want scripts that are more 
uh, pandemic friendly. Like there are like a lot easier to right? I mean, it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, um, I have um, um, my uh, my acting coach slash, and she's also become a. Mm-hmm. Kind of like she was telling me she landed. Uh, she's also an actress. She landed mm-hmm. a commercial, and mm-hmm. uh, literally did Zoom with her. They sent her all the equipment, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. her and her husband were the production people. Like they yeah. were setting yeah. They paid her for their time for all the production setup and stuff, and mm-hmm. I'm like, wow! I'm like, is this the future? Like, <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, you know, you know it's 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 a real double edged sword because you're absolutely right. A lot of things are being shot and set up that are relatively easy to shoot in the sense of like uh, very contained uh, with very few people. You know, there's there's not a lot of scripts being greenlit right now that have like big crowd scenes or really intense love scenes. Um, but I think on the flip side. I think what's hard for creatives like myself and, and a lot of showrunners and directors and writers is that you know, we, we want to be free and creative and it's, it's hard to be limited. It's hard to kind of say to ourselves, okay, we're only going to do things that are, um, you know, uh, uh, set in, 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 in very tight locations and you're only going to do things without kissing or without like, and you know, it, it's that kind of thing where it's been, you know, filmmaking has always been about restriction and about kind of knowing there's certain things you can and can't do, but sure. I think it has been difficult to, Kind of face that, and and I'm I'm truly hoping that this isn't like a forever thing. I'm truly hoping this is a this year and next year, and then we kind of get back to more regular filmmaking because sure. it is you know it's a uh, I mean like I I miss even basic things like you know getting together in groups, going to a bar after the shoot. Yeah, you know right. it's like uh, just eating together at lunchtime. All these things are gone basically, yeah. and it's, it's just a whole different world. Yep, so. absolutely. I mean. We just live like uh, I mean, um, did you hear about uh, Regal Cinema? Like all mm-hmm. their thing is like going out of business. And I was yeah. like, okay. Uh, it's funny because a few years ago, I had a conversation with uh, uh, a network, with a studio executive, mm-hmm. and uh, we were having this conversation. She told me that uh, multiplexes were going to disappear in the next ten mm-hmm. years, and I feel mm-hmm. like the pandemic has kind of expedited that process. Do you? feel the same way or what are your kind of thoughts yeah i mean it's a very tricky time i mean for for theaters especially it's a very difficult time because it's it's not a cheap business to run and you're right people are scared of going to the theaters i totally understand um i love going to movie theaters i love the theatrical experience i'm really hoping that um it doesn't go away it it, i mean you're right though that it has been past couple years have affected it very deeply i mean you've had you know the, the onset of kind of streaming movies and kind of better quality television has made it so a lot of people are like, why do I want to spend this much money to go out? What I hope will happen is that I, I hope we kind of have a distinct theatrical experience that's for certain kind of movies. Like, I do want to see Tenet on a huge screen. I do want to see Avengers Endgame on a huge screen. A lot of smaller indie movies... I'm okay watching them at home. You know, I, I do, I will admit though, I will, I will miss the kind of audience experience. I love seeing an intimate drama with an audience. And I think that I, I hope there's room for that. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to go away, but I think it will change. I think it has to adapt to the times. And I actually think this pandemic may actually force the, the theatrical business to kind of like adjust itself to kind of fit the new world. And hopefully it'll be good, but I, I truly hope it doesn't. I, I don't think it will die, but it will change. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm thinking like people, what, like projector? I mean, t- giant TVs used to be so expensive. Mm-hmm. Now they're like mm-hmm. next to nothing, right? right you can get right. Like 72, 75 inch for, mm-hmm. I don't know, mm-hmm. 600 bucks, 500 bucks, right? Right, I mean, right. 
of course it never you'll never have that same experience as like going to the dome uh, at Arclight in the middle of Hollywood you know oh Reggie you've got a little stop right, right. you know you'll never have oh. that experience am I stuck mm -hmm. oh my Reggie no, no, no. you're, you're good you're good <laughs> I just wanted to see how good my acting chops were. <laughs> sure, I sure. Just my mouth is running and everything else is stuck. That'd be hilarious. Um, <laughs> like, Mona, um, did you just have a stroke on camera? It's like, maybe. Uh, what happened? Sure, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, the thing with theatrical is that I, I think that the, the key, though, for me is that it's, it's not really, to me, about the size of the screen. To me, it's really about the audience. I, I think that's why, you know, some of the real proponents of theatrical really love it. I, I think Christopher Nolan doesn't want you to be going to a theater because it's a huge screen. I think it's because he wants you to kind of like experience it. Like I love hearing the gasps of awe or the gasps of joy or laughter or fear, you know, do, you know, doing horror films, you're like, you're doing them to experience the reaction. Like something I, I love more than hearing an audience react in the way that I hope they would react in a yeah. theater. And I really, I really, miss that more than anything else you know i'm really sad that evil eye is going to be a online premiere and not a not a premiere premiere yeah you know i mean i have to say they're they're doing an amazing job sort of changing the experience and it's been kind of incredible watching amazon's kind of marketing machine create this experience it's been amazing but yeah. it is quite different than it would have been you know it's it's, it's quite different you know than the usual red carpet and da, da, yeah. Da. yeah i mean i agree with you you know rajiv i think mm -hmm. the parallel for that would be for me, performing at a comedy club or performing in a bigger audience, right? Zoom mm -hmm. shows will never, ever come even Absolutely. close to what it's like to mm -hmm. get up on stage and interact with an audience of 400 and 800 and 1,000 and 5,000. It will just never compare to it. Um, mm -hmm. I recently got, um, just two days ago, I got, uh, not two days ago, yesterday, I got invited to a brand new comedy club that's being built out. It's like top-notch. Mm -hmm. Top line, and they were like, "You're the first comedian to step on stage." Wow. You know, baptized, mm -hmm. right? I wasn't performing; I was just there to check the venue out and just stepping on stage. And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, you can't. You there is no substitution for this. Mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. care how awesome the Zoom shows are." So I feel right, like that's right. the equivalent of that. Um, I wanted to actually ask you, Rajiv, how Please. how the two busy kids um, <laughs> who were born in Tennessee. And then mm -hmm. grow up in Bali are just like, you know what? We're twins and we both want to be filmmakers. Like, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a very interesting question. Um, you know, we, we just love movies. I mean, it's like one of those things where I think we, we are twins in the sense that we have very similar sensibilities. Both of us were artists. Both of us love storytelling. You know, we, we love film and film and the idea of filmmaking. And I think, yeah. you know, it felt crazy it felt insane yeah, i mean obviously we're we're indian we're first gen indian kids so i mean our parents were very much like you know gently pushing us toward engineering and being a doctor being you know like those, those kind of things like the usual what? story yeah no i know no <laughs> i know it's, it's shocking um but i have to say they were also very supportive you know when they figured out that we were sort of not going in that direction and they they i, I mean it, it is funny i think our parents to this day they, they sort of still don't entirely understand how the business works. You know, I, I, the, the scariest thing about this business for, for a Desi parent is that your paychecks are not consistent. Like you don't, you know, you don't get like a monthly, you know, uh, uh, fee or like, you know, salary. 
it's like yeah. per project and they're like wait so you've spent how many months developing this and they haven't paid you yet and like yeah, you know it's, it's very funny but I think as what's been nice is that as we've kind of had some success and and worked with some really great you know uh companies like Netflix and Amazon they've yeah. seen that okay like this is not like a game we're not hobbyists like we're we're, we're professionals and I think they sort of now understand it sort of but they still get kind of freaked out you know and yeah. it's like and I, I, I think it's one of those things where it's like it's I, I weirdly I think Evil Eye has been particularly good though because um they obviously know who Priyanka Chopra Jonas is and she executive produced our film That's and I right. think that um that more than anything else was our parents are like massive fans so they were just like like, like, honestly, much more than working with Amazon or Netflix. It was like, you worked with Priyanka Chopra Jonas. Like, that was the the thing that was like, okay, they've now they've actually, like, made it. You know? so. it's, a stamp, it's a stamp of validation. That's because exactly. that's something you can understand. That's a point of reference. Exactly. Get, exactly. You know? that, that's exactly. so interesting. I, I thought that if Priyanka was going to uh, executive produce it, I thought she would want to star in it, too. But that's interesting that Sunita Mani is the one who's the lead in it. Yeah, I mean, she, you know, the reality is Priyanka has um, a, a huge slate of movies that she's starring in, you know, and working on, uh, you know, development wise. So I actually think she's was just too busy, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's like something where she's in the Matrix and she's in the new, uh, you know, the new Amazon series Citadel. And, um, and I think it's like something where she, she has aspirations to uh, produce movies beyond just her own, uh, you know, performances, which I think is really, really it makes a lot of sense. Like, like her brand is much more than just her performance. It's, it's kind of a, she, I mean, you know, to her credit, she has a commitment, I think, to um, elevating South Asian voices and really elevating a new, you know, uh, these kind of things. And I, I'm, I really give her a lot of credit for supporting a film like this because it's like, it's really a lot of people are excited and, and it's been fantastic to be able to, I don't know how a film like this could have been made even five years ago. And I think, you know, now it's like the fact that it can be made today is really, incredible you know and you made it and on a major platform and given a huge audience is really it's 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 amazing i mean you know uh when i watched the trailer i love sunita money i think she was so great mm -hmm. and, uh, oh yeah she's well, amazing and, yeah. yeah she's great she's so talented yeah uh, and of course growing up with like sarita chadri you know watching her and uh with denzel washington you guys should totally watch Mississippi Masala. sure the, sure mm -hmm. the first time an indian girl defies and wants to date a black dude it's awesome it's um, an amazing yeah. movie. absolutely you're yeah. directing amazing yeah <laughs> yeah and um so. I, I mean you so you guys get and you guys direct together so you are like co-directing mm -hmm. How, mm -hmm. how, I mean, how has that been for you guys? Like, it's like <laughs> complex. You're just like, sure, yeah. lunch break. Uh, you're like, who in that corner? Me in this corner. Yeah, that's that's interesting. It's so funny you asked that uh, um, because this was our first feature film that we directed together. And uh, um, like the first thing we kind of had to figure out crazily was who would say action on set. So like oh, initially right. we were trading on. What's funny that, um, yeah, is that, you know, what's funny is that that worked really badly. That did not work at all. So then we had to like, okay, that, we got to figure out a different system. So we ended up doing per scene. So like the morning scene, he would say action, the afternoon scene, I would say action. And, um, you know, and then beyond that, I think what's been really nice about it is that, you know, most directors kind of work alone. Like they, they have their collaborators around them, you know, the, the, the cinematographer and the, and the production designer, but, you know, in, in our case, we have each other. So even though yeah. we, we are tasted very similar, but we would often disagree. And in sure. those times we would kind of like quickly powwow 
and figure out, okay, why do you want to do it this way? Why do I want to do it that way? And usually we'd actually find that by, by discussing it together, we'd actually reach a better place. Like, like we'd figure out, oh, wait, there's actually like a better way to do this even than either of us thought of. And that was really nice to have someone to kind of test everything against every single time. Um, although a lot of the time we disagreed, you know, and talking to the actors was very, it was very easy. It was like, it was never really, you know, there was no ego about it. It's just yeah. sometimes it'd be him, sometimes it'd be me. It, it didn't matter. It's like if one of us had something to say, we would just say it. And I think it, it was a very smooth process. Um, it, it also helped that we were working with pros. I mean, the, these are our four leads. All of our actors are amazing, but our four leads are, they're just very experienced. You know, I mean, Sarita has been on so many sets, you know, Sunita's done amazing work and Bernard is very experienced. You know, Omar, they're, they just knew what they were doing. And so yeah. there was no, like, the, there was no handholding needed. Like all of them were really just like got it almost immediately. And, and yeah. any directions we were given were fairly minor, um, yeah. you know, like, so, which is fantastic. Where did you guys shoot? Did you guys shoot this in, uh, in the South somewhere in LA? Was yeah, we actually, we shot uh, almost entirely in New Orleans. Um, and so, and uh, actually one of the challenges of the film is that the film is set um, half in New Orleans and half in Delhi. Um, but we shot all of the Delhi interior scenes in New Orleans. And so we were actually, our, our production designer, Ryan Owl Dwyer, had to basically dress locations in New Orleans to look like um, uh, India. So it was quite, quite wild. I mean, like in terms of the amount of set dressing and uh, props and even things like he, um, he and his team uh, um, 3D printed special plugs to look like the plugs in India. And like wow. put them on the walls, and like it was really, really wild to see the transformation. The details, because, the detail. Yeah, absolutely. Because when you see our sets, like our sets were empty, barren spaces before he came in. So the walls were painted, the floors were put down. Like all of the sets were, were custom designed from scratch. So it was wow. really, really an amazing transformation to walk in and kind of see what he had done. And um, it, it was, it was great. But it was very. And I mean, New Orleans is a fantastic place. The the crews are amazing. You know, we loved yeah. it. So. Yeah. And this, so this is what, while you guys are shooting the New Orleans part, like the American mm -hmm. part, the mm -hmm. other, the Indian part is being built out. Basically. Yeah. That, that, that's pretty much all actually, it was actually the reverse. We, we ended up shooting most of the Indian part first, uh, just oh. for like scheduling reasons. So it was really, you know, during pre-production, we were prepping all of it. And so we ended up shooting most of, uh, of a Sarita and Bernard's scenes first and then seen in omar's and uh, you know what was interesting is like the, the majority of the film actually occurs over phone calls um the original audio play that was written by uh, uh, uh madri shekar was actually entirely phone calls it was all phone calls um mostly between india and america so one of our challenges in the film was first of all how to make phone calls cinematic and then two how to even shoot the scenes because often you would have, um, so, you know, Sarita doing a scene, a very intense emotional scene opposite her daughter, but she, but, but Sunita was not on set. So, you know, Sunita had not even arrived in New Orleans yet. So we actually had another actress, um, um, this woman, um, uh, Tosh Dur, who was fantastic, yeah. play the opposite parts, opposite the actors. So she played kind of Sunita's part against Sarita. And then when we did Sunita's scene, she then played Sarita's part against Anita. It was it was quite wild to watch, um, but it all kind of worked out really really well in the end, and it was very it fit together really closely. But it was quite a challenge to kind of make it all function. So. I mean, it looks amazing. You know, I know that Bloomhouse mm -hmm. has been uh, 
really stepping up their game. Like they've oh, yeah. just been, they were really mm-hmm. just stepping up their game. I am not a big horror fan, but I do love good suspenseful films. Mm-hmm. I uh, I did uh, love uh, the what was it the uh, was it the Reckoning or something like I forget I forget mm-hmm. uh, where they go into the family goes into this haunted house. And it takes over the mother's body, and she wants to kill oh, gotcha. all the children. Uh, and it on a true story, and I was like, mm-hmm. "Oh my god, this is so cool!" Mm-hmm. And my mom was mm-hmm. like, "Why are you watching this?" And I was like, "Oh my god, storytelling is so good! Like, you gotta oh, watch yeah. it." You know, yeah, mm-hmm. when you guys sit down, like, I want to talk about gin, um, mm-hmm. mainly because sure, yeah. um, gin is something that uh, you know. I'm I grew up in Pakistan, right? So mm-hmm. I'm born in Pakistan. I'm, I was there till I was 15, mm-hmm. and. Uh, we really, in Islam and in Muslim culture, you know, sure. is a very big part of our existence, like storytelling. Mm-hmm. Kids. Like, that's how mm-hmm. our parents terrorize us. They're like, if you mm-hmm. don't finish a glass of milk, gin <laughs> uh, is going to come. And I'm like, I'm lactose intolerant. Stop shoving <laughs> down my throat. Like, got it, got it. There's going to be a massive accident waiting to happen. Forget the gin. I, I, you know, mm-hmm. I the gin would run away because of the accident. Like, don't make me do this. Um, <laughs> but I feel like, um, I feel like gin is a very big part, you know, and a lot of people don't know gin are just kind of these, uh, you know, I don't know, the, these beings, these entities mm-hmm. that could be yeah. good or could be bad, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and initially when I saw, I came across it, I skipped through it because I, 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 skipped, I got scared and I was like, oh my God, that's like <laughs> sure, terrible. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, you know what? Uh, I have a friend of mine. He's obsessed with horror. That's all he mm-hmm. watches. He watches mm-hmm. horror and falls asleep. I'm like, there is something wrong with you. Like, <laughs> right, right, right. Who mm-hmm. does that? So he was like, you better watch Jin. Jin is really well done. And I was like, okay. I started watching and I was like, this is really good storytelling. Like, this is some very cool. It's mm-hmm. amazing. How mm-hmm. did you guys even get? you know, even get interested in it because did you guys, you guys wrote the script, you guys wrote it, directed it, right? So we, we, um, Jen's a complicated one because we, uh, we, we wrote it working, working with other writers who were in, um, in Jordan and Lebanon. And then we actually worked with directors. So we didn't actually direct that story. In that, in that case, we worked with a director out of Lebanon, Mirjan Buchaya, and then another director, Ami Metalka. So so the two of them actually directed the episodes on that one. Um, Uh, we, yeah, it's like part of that is because we don't speak Arabic actually. Um, and so it was entirely in Arabic. So it was kind of this, this interesting challenge. Um, but yeah. I think kind of where it came from is, uh, uh, um, Ilan and I have done a lot of work in Jordan prior to Jin. So we worked on the show Star Trek Discovery and shot their Jordan unit for the pilot. And we shot with Covert Affairs and we shot another film of our, of our own scene that was shot in Jordan. And while there, we basically got to know the crew, got to know the culture and kind of fell in love with it. It's, it's a, it's a wonderful country, both for its people as well as its culture, but also um, just just to shoot in. Like it's, it's uh, you know, production value is amazing. It looks sure. beautiful. And yeah. um, we, and you know, obviously we heard a lot of stories about Jen. And as we were kind of looking to do our, our first series, uh, yeah. we thought, wouldn't it be amazing to kind of take these, as you said, kind of beliefs where people are very scared of this kind of thing, but then apply it to this kind of like supernatural teen type of show but use it doing kind of, you know, like part, a lot of our intent was to tell a very authentic to the Arab world show. So we interviewed, you know, dozens of teenagers um, in Jordan asking about their lives. Like, what do they do after school? And like, what do they care about? And, you know, a lot of the things that we learned were very similar to teens over the world, like carrying my homework and, and uh, crushes and like all that kind of stuff. Um, and 
mixing that together with the gin mythology, which we kind of done research quite a bit on, was a really cool challenge. And we, it's, 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 you know, it's what I love most about filmmaking is learning about another culture and then trying to represent it in a very authentic way, but yeah. still giving it a very fun to watch commercial spin. I mean, that that's kind of all of what we do. It's like authentic stories with a fun genre spin. And I, sure. I, I love being able to do that. And, and Jin was really exactly that. And it was, it was a lot of fun. And, and um, you know, the actors we found in Jordan were absolutely fantastic. I'm so proud of them. For, yeah. for most of them, it was their very first professional acting job, which was really, wow. really great to see. And it was like, they, they I thought they did amazing work. Um, they so. were, the kids killed it. They were amazing. They were great. I agree. Every kid was amazing. Mm-hmm. I was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, these kids are just so friggin' talented. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you, Rajiv, grow up in, you know, in your kind of Desi culture? And by the way, for mm-hmm. the non-brown people watching this gin is not the alcohol or the liquor that you're thinking of <laughs> That's not right. G-I-N, it's j-i-n-n mm-hmm. okay uh, it's about these uh, uh, you know entities that uh, kind of float around uh mm-hmm. we believe we we kind of grew up with a belief system that uh there are two kinds of gin uh where there is fear and there is pain gin shows up in those places uh mm-hmm. we were told that as kids uh, not to when the sun when the sun is setting, not to eat anything sweet and go outside because the gins come and take over your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Not to stand under trees while the sun is setting. Like mm-hmm. uh, when you're passing through, um, uh, when you're passing through an area that makes bricks where there's a lot of heat, gins exist and live in those places. Like yeah, yeah, see, like weird stuff that you kind of did, did your parents kind of tell you about did you grow up in that kind of this environment about no gin? um honestly no gin, gin was not at all a part of my childhood or, or like upbringing at all you know i mean i was my my parents are both indian um grew up in india but i think they're they were raised hindu and uh they i don't know that 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 gin in that sense are part of um i you know i'm not sure about this but i don't think they're really a big part of indian culture i think a lot of the kind of mythological kind yes. of folklore figures in India are, I mean, there, there are some very scary ones, but I think they're, they're different ones, you know, like uh, yeah. there's, yeah. there's a, there's a Blumhouse series called, uh, called Batal that kind of deals with the, with a, with a certain type of scary uh, figure. And it's, it's very cool, by the way, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's like a, think like kind of um, Indian zombies meets military. And I think it's like something like, I haven't seen it yet, but it's something like a, like a, a British soldiers from colonial times, like rising up in, in the Indian jungles. It's, it's super cool. So yeah. What is, what is it on <laughs> um, Netflix? What is it on? Um, it's on Netflix. Yeah. So, so it's a Blumhouse series uh, uh, for Netflix India, basically. And it's, it's, what? it's very wild. So what's it called? Betal, B-E-T-A-A-L. Um, uh, watch the trailer. It's super cool. Yeah. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. But it's, so. Let me ask you this. When you guys are researching the gin mythology and, mm-hmm. you know, about gins and everything, is it freaking you guys out? You're like, what is this creepy well, stuff? Well, I mean, I mean, you did, like some of the research we did was pretty wild. So um, my brother attended an, an exorcism, actually, uh, outside yes. the, um, in the village in Petra. And uh, that was apparently, uh, he said it was terrifying. He said it was absolutely wild because there was like a girl who supposedly had a gin trapped inside her. And like, there was a local, uh, like, a, a, a shaman basically who was like 
overseeing it and and uh, saying crazy all kinds of wild things and it was like um he said it was very wild to watch and but it it was i mean um he said it was very felt very real and felt very kind of scary watching sort of this girl's back arch and just all of the wild things that were happening so we kind of like use like we definitely want knew that this was a very real believed concept in the arab world and we wanted to kind of use that to our advantage because it was simultaneously to both be a, a, a scary series but also speak to you know any horror when done well speaks to primal fears but all types of things in our mm-hmm. in our life i mean i i, I think horror can be used to, to speak to fears of being good enough for society being good, you know, good enough for your parents to you know fear fear of um of like being alone like it's like that it's it's speaking to those deeper ideas about society it's why i think horror is so much more than just being scary it's about kind of tapping into something and commenting on it and so you know through jen we were commenting on on conflict you know we we had different jen with kind of different philosophies based on you know we look back at like um you know like we almost thought about one jen as sort of like a roman era jen versus like a sort of a a more Greek era gen. And, and I mean, it, it sounds wild, but like thinking about the different governmental philosophies and how yeah. they went about kind of like manipulating and using our teenagers was very, it was very much part of our thought process in, in thinking about it. Um, and also it was great because our, our, our local team, so, so the writers and directors and producers who were in Jordan and Lebanon really brought a lot to the table. They, they brought their own childhood, childhood experiences of gin and their cultural understanding to the table to kind of, uh, speak to it and be very authentic about it. and that was lovely to be able to kind of work with them together it was really really great so, that's amazing I mean I yeah. mean it's just uh, and, and what got you guys even interested in gin like did you just come across it by accident somebody some friends told you about it like what you, you were like you know yeah. what this sounds really creepy <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I mean, really, it's, it's, it was just being being in Jordan. Um, I've done a lot of shooting uh, uh, in the Wadi Rum, which is uh, sort of this massive, incredible kind of desert canyon area of Jordan. It's where they shot The Martian um, for with Matt Damon, where they've shot yeah. a bunch of really wild, uh, kind of often alien planets, actually, because it's such a wild place. But there's a lot of stories about gin in this, in this area. It's a very kind of desolate Canyon. Um, and when you're there, you're sort of out alone and there's nothing around you for like dozens of miles. And, and the Bedouins who, um, who kind of help you while you're shooting there told us stories basically about kind of like, Oh, that rock over there, you got to be careful because there's like gin who like, uh, who will like people have wandered off and like fallen off cliffs because of that they hear the gin coming. And so we heard a lot of these amazing stories from the Bedouin tribes. Um, we work very closely with because you, you basically, they, they help you navigate these regions. And, uh, when we shot in Petra as well. Oh, we also work with some, um, I mean, kind of, Oh, froze for a second. Um, no, it was it was really weird. Like, and now I'm just like, is are there gyms around me now? Like, what's going on? Exactly, exactly. Are the gyms this? What's exactly, happening? It is kind of hard to do a series like that and not start to sort of believe in it or see it because yeah. you sort of there is such a, a a belief and you sort of get a sense that uh, you know I read a book that talked about um, how like the belief is that gin are the are the cause are the kind of root of all mythological creatures. So it talked about how like mm-hmm. them. 
the vampire mythologies and werewolf mythologies and even angels and demons really are all just gin in different forms. And it was a, it, it, there's some very wild stories. Uh, I mean, I, having worked on that series for a year, I did some very deep dives into like gin culture and gin beliefs. It was, I know more about gin than you could imagine. <laughs> are you so. really around people when you do this? So you're just like, it's not... <laughs> So I'm not entirely freaking myself out. Let me just put some people around me. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. It is I, funny. It's it's, yeah. it's it's hard to work with uh, with Blumhouse and not to somewhat start to believe in ghosts yeah. because it's like there yeah. there is there, there. I mean, like part of the fun of working with Blumhouse is that they're, they're just so knowledgeable about this genre. So mm -hmm. it's like just like you know, whenever we were, we were working on like any part of the uh, you know, of the film with them it was like very like they just know this world and they, they know so much about all these different like ghostly apparitions that it was like sometimes it'd be like actually in this story we talked about this and it was like this is wild <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Did, did at some point while you guys are shooting and so are you also getting a little freaked out also are you beginning to mm -hmm. kind of fall into it and having some nightmares are you guys kind of experiencing that what's that like for you yeah i mean there there is some of that especially i mean depending on what you're shooting and when like when you shoot a very creepy scene and especially when you see a creepy scene in a very creepy location um th things do happen like for example shooting in petra for gin we spent we spent a, about three weeks shooting in petra and that is a, it is a, a massive city carved out of the out of the rocks. And so spending like shooting all night in these canyons, like you're, you're, when you're trying to make your way back to the, back to the uh, base camp or back to the catering tent or something, you're walking across like stairs and rocks that were carved like 4,000 years ago. We, Ooh. we shot it, we shot in a cave shaped like a skull. No, that one like four walls. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Someone called, you know, carved these walls yeah. like long before basically like Jesus. And it's like a very strange experience to be standing there looking at it at night with nothing around you and no sound. And it's very, it is, it's, yeah, it's, it's creepy. <laughs> so, so um, I'll tell you some of the creepy stuff that we've experienced growing up in mm -hmm. Pakistan. So mm -hmm. uh, in 1985, our family made a tour. We did a whole tour of Pakistan in my mm -hmm. dad's car, right? Mm -hmm. It's me, my four older brothers. I'm the youngest and the only girl. So it's five kids, my parents. And we are literally going from like Karachi to Lahore to Islamabad. And then we're going out to these really crazy rural parts of Pakistan that you have to be batshit crazy to explore. I don't know why the hell. My, my dad was like, we're going to have a vacation. I'm like, this is a death trap. Like, gotcha. mm -hmm. And I remember being, um, I remember our car um, getting stuck in this tiny little river. And mm -hmm. it's just five of us and my mom and my dad. And uh, we can't seem to get the car out. And the sun is setting. And we're like, if we're stuck here, like, we're screwed. Like, well, I don't know how we're going to get through this. So my mom has always been a very religious person. So she's sitting there and she's doing all these prayers. Mm -hmm. And these two guys show up, completely faces covered. You cannot see their faces, just their tiny little eyes. And they're like, what's going on? And my dad's like, we're stuck. We're with the children and we don't know what to do. And they're like, no problem. We'll help you get the lift the car out, right? They, they mm -hmm. lift the car to help us get to the other side. Mm -hmm. And uh, my dad goes to them, what are you out here for at this hour? Because it's on setting. And they're like, oh, we're looking to get shoot birds, to get birds mm -hmm. at like sunset. <laughs> Interesting. Huh? 
right? <laughs> and as we're like getting in the car and we're driving off, we can't find them. Mm-hmm. They're nowhere to be found. We turn around, we like, we can't find them, right? Mm-hmm. And my mom tells mm-hmm. all these like these kind of like these spooky stories, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember like uh, again we were passing through and got stuck in front of this river, right? This river, mm-hmm. nighttime, roaring river, right? So my dad mm-hmm. goes. Let me see how powerful the river is. So he ties a rope around his waist, ties it on the bumper of the car, and tries to get near the turns the football headlights on. I remember this so distinctly. And he's trying to step into the water. And as he's about to step into the water, he sees a giant tire of a truck rolling oh through. Oh my gosh. So this mm-hmm. fucking river swallowed a, t- a, a, a truck. At some point, oh my gosh. <laughs> so we are stuck, and so we're like, scary. "How are we gonna get through this? Like, we're mm-hmm. stuck, right? We don't mm-hmm. know how to get through this." And uh, so we're sitting there, and we have literally nothing to eat. And uh, what had happened was like my parents had picked up these um, these giant melons they were selling for like next to nothing. So mm-hmm. all we have are these melons. So my mom gets out of the car, super dark. It's like kind of like what you're describing, how Jordan is. She gets mm-hmm. out of the car. They get these melons out of the trunk. They're cutting them up. We have the windows rolled down, and this huge tarantula crawls into the car. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and we are freaking the f- out. We're like, we are gonna die. <laughs> like the tarantula is gonna kill us. And oh my gosh! That's does, wild. My mom does this thing. So bizarre, dude. She mm-hmm. looks at the tarantula. She's like, I know you're not a tarantula. She goes, I know you're not a spider. I know you are a jinn. I know you're mm. a jinn. And I know mm. you're human. But I know that, that you don't, don't mean us harm. So I'm going to ask you to please leave because you're freaking my, my children out. So please leave. I swear to God, Rajiv, the, the tarantula just crawls out. And just <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, it's That's like amazing. crazy stuff. <laughs> you know, you're just yeah. like. So when I came across your series, I was like, I must watch this immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Now, yeah. uh, I know that there was a lot of controversy that got built mm-hmm. around it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, uh, which really breaks my heart because it really did show teenage life. Like, yeah. yeah. we want to think about, you know, how maybe predominantly Muslim countries and how teenagers behave. Teenagers mm-hmm. are freaking teenagers everywhere. Mm-hmm. They're sure, rebelling, yeah. they're finding them, discovering about themselves, they're discovering mm-hmm. relationships. You know, there's a lot going on. Um, what was that like, Rajiv? Like, when Jin comes out, you receive this. Amazing mm. messages from uh, you know all these uh, you know from the Arab world. They're just like mm-hmm. finally somebody like showcasing mm-hmm. our life and yeah. showing the world. And then this crazy controversy shows up. What from the adults, from the government? Who's, who's yeah, who has the problem? Who has the problem? I, mean, I mean, you're absolutely right that, that that's the balance that was basically struck. I mean, we we did receive hundreds, thousands of messages from uh, teenagers across the Arab world, uh, young people saying. Like we've never seen ourselves kind of represented on camera in this way, you know. Yeah. I mean, really, no. I mean, no one had really ever put teenagers in the Arab world on a major network like this, you know. I mean, I we, we literally had messages from people in like Korea and Brazil and all kinds of places, being like, I've never, like, literally changing their attitudes about like, why well, no idea that teenagers in Jordan would be just like me and have the same kind of problems. Um, I think where the controversy really stemmed from, I. You're right. I think primarily came from a more conservative side, more adult side of, yeah. you know, of Europe, especially in Jordan, yeah. um, which, you know, in Jordan is a very interesting country because it is one of the more progressive 
uh, Arab countries, but it does have a very, you know, conservative side as well. And I think what was almost heartbreaking, even that there's a very fine balance between being respectful of the culture, but mm-hmm. also being authentic and kind of being um, provocative and being interesting and breaking boundaries, I think is yeah. important. But I do think there is a, a responsibility to, you know, to be respectful. And I, I think it was a very difficult line to walk. And I, you know, I, I can't I can't really say for certain that we walked it. You know, I mean, correctly, given that there was a big outcry. I mean, the, the outcry, I think, primarily came from, I think the message that it was the hardest to see was uh, Jordanian um, adults, uh, certain, certain adults online saying, like, our teens don't act like this. Like, our teens don't kiss each other. Our teens don't drink. Our teens don't, you know, various things. Um, and I think that that was, you know, something where it's like, I, I I just know for a fact because I literally witnessed it. I literally, or, or didn't witness it, but I, I literally heard testimonials from teens of various different. Because you know, I think the other thing about Jordan too is that uh, there is a difference in the in terms of the the economic level of a school and sure. sort of in terms of how you know it, it does tend to be that the, the slightly more affluent schools do sure. tend to have be a little bit more western in there in the kind of how much men and women interact and dating and like that kind of thing and i will say that we kind of modeled our series more on on a more affluent school because we, we wanted to kind of show this sort of slightly more kind of like a, i would say provocative side you know what i mean but, yeah. but yeah. it was never meant to it was never you know like we never designed it to be sort of uh to like we weren't trying to offend anybody our our goal was simply to kind of represent oh. what what we heard and what right. we saw and we really like we so many teens. They asked us. They they begged us really. Like just show us like having the same, uh, you know, like being like teens anywhere else. You know, and yeah. and the kind of interesting irony of it is that like other shows like you know Game of Thrones is very popular in Jordan. You know, uh, oh, wow. uh, uh, Gossip Girl and Riverdale and like these, these kind of shows are very popular in Jordan. Oh, so it's, like Game of Thrones. Yeah. Oh, it's very popular. So it's like is it's it one of those things. See, this is the thing. No, because the the thing about it is, is that I, I think what we kind of ran into is this sense that, you know, it's it's totally fine as long as it's not our kids, so to speak. You know what I mean? So it's like, of course, American kids do all these things. But there was a sense from certain people. And honestly, I, I'll give a lot of credit that lots of people, I think, like didn't feel this way. But I think as tends to happen it's that the loudest voices kind of are the ones that, that sort of you know get heard, but there were plenty of other people very supportive who, who loved the series and, you know, plenty of adults as well who said like, you know, we, we totally appreciate that sort of like, you know, like push. Boundaries and like that kind of, kind of, you know, if we were to do it again, if we what what if we would change anything, what we would change? It's very hard to answer at this point. But I'm very proud of the series. Um, I'm very proud of our actors, and I you know so. And I I think we really what we showed was was teenagers in Jordan, you know, and yeah. it's like something where so yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm not Jordanian, uh, but I am Muslim, right? And uh, this is a kind of a through line. Uh, and this is something that I kind of make it very clear in my stand-up and when I get up on stage and to talk about is mm-hmm. this uh, kind of this through line in predominantly Muslim nations 
where the uh, you know the elders or the you know the kind of the middle age or the elders of the the culture um, you know are somehow coming and dictating and telling young people what to think, how to think it, how to live their lives, you know, and uh, it, it's really, it's really holding them back, right? It's really kind of creating this friction where you're just like, you're depriving these young folks of a, of a grand world of this amazing potential that they have. And you're just suffocating that potential. You're suffocating that progress. You're suffocating mm-hmm. that growth, you know? Um, mm-hmm. uh, am I, am I sad to hear it? Yes. Am I shocked to hear it? No. Uh, right, you know, right. uh, Pakistan has, uh, there's a new series. Uh, I just had the director and the creator of the show. Uh, there's a show called Tra- Trails. Have you heard of the mm-hmm. show Trails? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Trails, no. It translates to witches. And it's mm-hmm. this British Pakistani guy who wrote it and directed it. And it's a massive hit in like mm-hmm. Indian Pakistan. It's a massive mm-hmm. hit. Uh, and they just banned it this year, this two days ago, three days ago. They just banned oh, it in Pakistan. Wow. Yeah. Okay. They banned it. They were like, oh, it yeah. is immoral. Oh, it is so what, immoral. What is it? Uh, um, what is it on which which network or like what? It's on Z, uh, ZTV. It's on Z5, mm-hmm. they call it. Mm-hmm. And Sorry. the concept is basically about these uh, four or five women uh, mm-hmm. that pretend like they're opening up like this store that sells burkas but they're mm-hmm. actually a private detective company uh mm-hmm. that goes and finds women the women come to them and say my husband's cheating on me or whatever and they go mm-hmm. and get the crap out of the guy um mm-hmm. and they really you know they, they, they really try to set the guy straight um mm-hmm. and women were like there was you know because it taught it can you know it really tackles misogyny and patriarchy and mm-hmm. feminism mm-hmm. and you know even lgbtq like there's a lot mm-hmm. of things um mm-hmm. and it got banned so it, it just really kind of it breaks my heart you know man i was so looking forward to season two i can't even tell you i was oh, so of, of, of Jen. oh yeah i know i mean that's that that breaks my heart too i have to say because we wow. we definitely had had worked out some storylines we definitely had some had some plans for for season two, the actors were were very excited and ready for it, um, yeah. and uh, yeah, it was it was too bad that we weren't able to do it. But it's uh, you know I understand. I, I I do hope though. You know, Netflix is currently um, in production on um, another series, basically there called Al- Alvarado School for Girls with this uh, amazing writer director Tima Shomali. Okay. Um. Oh, is going to come back. Who's a, who's a, who's a, a, but but um you know it's like I'm I'll be very very interested to, to watch that series. I'm very curious to see what lessons Netflix kind of derived you know from our series. Um we we felt very supported by Netflix the entire time. They were very good behind us, and so I have you know I, I I really believe that like they are just trying to walk the line between doing interesting work, but also they do want to kind of uh, satisfy their audience and keep their audience happy. And I think that that is always going to be a bit of a line to walk. In yeah. uh, in sort of some of these more conservative nations, just in terms of yeah. like, how do you sort of be provocative without being too provocative? How do you, yeah. uh, you know, I, it's a hard balance. It's a tough balance. It's, it's very hard. Yeah, yeah, you it'll know? be very difficult. But but I think they they learned a lot. I mean, and I think we were kind of the test subject because we were Netflix's first uh, Arab series, and so I, I I think in that sense, I'll be very curious to see kind of as they do more. And like we we certainly hope to be do, you know doing more as well. Yeah. Um, you know, both in the Arab world and just around the world. So I'll, I'll be curious to kind of see what happens. So, yeah, yeah. for sure. Anyway. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, um, oh, yeah, you, you already talked about that. Uh, no, I, I feel like, you know, your, 
you and Elon, like, do you guys always do you guys always work on the same projects together, or you kind of also go off, do your thing, and then mm -hmm. he goes up and does this thing, and then you'll be like, hey, this project really seems interesting. Let's work on mm -hmm. this together. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, we we in the past we've done a lot of work separately as well as together, but I think. Um, recently we we have decided that that we really are a team and i think we we sort of have like i mean i think there may come a point in the future when we decide to kind of like you know work separately again but at least for right now we're really kind of focused on ourselves as a as a directing and writing duo and so basically anything we're writing or directing right now we're we're not writing and directing um separately honestly yeah. um and uh, and i think actually we we both found that we're better for it um, and I think we, we definitely have certain passion projects that I think in the future we'd love to do kind of more just me or just him. Um, yeah. But I think I, I think our, our hope is going to set ourselves up a little more strongly as a as a real kind of like base. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. and, uh, and I think that, you know, that means doing a few more TV series, a few more movies. And once we kind of have more of a because I mean, I, our hope is to actually establish a production company and be I mean, like, you know, our kind of like best case scenario would be. Um, uh, the uh, I'm sorry, but just I, I can't believe I can't remember the name. Anyway, uh, they're they're absolutely amazing. But the they they um their company Agbo now produces films and TV series and all different things, and that's kind of ideally where we want to be getting to. We're producing things. We kind of have more of a base under us, and then we kind of like go from there. So that's kind of what. So, yeah. so we're we have some projects that we're just producing right now that we're not necessarily writing or directing, even though that's primarily what we're doing. So, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, you guys also have a uh, production company together, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, we do. We, you know, it's, it's funny, our, our kind of background, even before doing gin um, and before doing uh, evil eye was producing uh, a lot of international shoots for mainly TV series. So, so our company would produce and, and still produces shoots, for shows like Master of None and Hannibal and Star Trek Discovery and yeah. Heroes, um, where basically when these shows wanted to shoot in, for example, Master of None in uh, Italy, we, we produced their Italian unit, or Hannibal shoot in Florence, or Blind Spot shoot in Tokyo. Like we would kind of uh, produce these units, and in some cases, most of the time, it was us producing the unit um, with our with our team of Master Keys. So then, in particular, Red Giles would do quite a bit of it. Um, but we would also sometimes direct the units as well. So sometimes we would do second unit directing uh, in foreign locations. So kind of depending on the show. Um, right. And that's kind of like, so, and we really, what was wonderful is it, it really helped us understand how to kind of manage, how to manage what, it, what a professional TV shoot with, uh, kind of requires, which is kind of making your day, making your budget. Um, and also like often shooting in places that are very, wild i mean like you know doing a shoot in sri lanka when we had never shot there before you have to kind of figure it out like find the right team on the ground there and right. find out how do the crews work and there's a lot of you know like there's there's kind of a battle always to kind of figure out how does a particular place work you know which i yeah. really enjoy like i love shooting internationally because there is something about going to a place you've never been before yep. and kind of shooting a movie it's just it's amazing so yeah i mean uh you you sound like uh you're more on like the critical thinking part, right? Like you like, <laughs> I, and it's funny because mm -hmm. I'm like that. Like I love to travel by myself. So mm -hmm. like I'll go to Europe by myself and then just mm -hmm. think like a brand new city and then just be like, let's look at the map. How are we going to figure this out? Where are we totally, going to totally. go? Yeah. I, mean, uh, 
I love that. I, I but I, it, that's a lot. I mean, it's still, yours is like a times a hundred that of like, yeah, yeah, you know, kind of corralling a crew together and yeah, what are the exactly, patients exactly. and being like, what, yeah. What I think is like the best part about it is that I, I guess I'm someone who like, I, I, I mean, I'm such a workaholic and I, I know it's a problem, <laughs> honestly. It's not a problem. But, I'm a workaholic, yeah, but you can hear that. It's one of But in that sense, I, I think it's like, like I would, I know it sounds crazy to say this, but like, I would rather be landing in Paris with a very specific set of needs, like things I need to get done while in Paris. I'd rather be landing and being like, I need to do a walk and talk on a balcony overseeing the Seine River and then get off the plane and go figure out how to do that rather than just landing in Paris being like, I have a couple of days to hang out. Like I I like having a task. Mm. And so I enjoy travel with a goal, you know, and that that's been the best part about kind of shooting internationally is kind of um, is, is like I very rarely travel without some specific uh, work need in mind. And it's also kind of nice that it's always being paid for by the studio. So it's, (laughs) you know, so that's, you know, that's that's not bad. (laughs) Right. When you get flown out and you get put up at the mm-hmm. Ritz Carlton and stuff, oh, it's the best. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you're absolutely right. And then you're just like mm-hmm. just hanging out. Um, you're that's, absolutely that's right. Like, that, that is literally the best. Um, mm-hmm. No, I, I mean, but you, when you guys, you know, I mean, how old were you guys when you both like you both like look at each other and you're like we're going to be filmmakers. Like how old are you? Eight? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it, it, it was pretty young. I mean, we, we were kind of like messing with cameras and messing with visual effects and kind of like making, I mean, I remember in, in like middle school, we were starting to mess with like 3d software and we like shot this like crazy thing where like, it was just us like running around and putting like giant robots stomping around behind us and, you know, in, and just us and our, goofy glasses and, and, you know, like, and, uh, terrible, like baggy jeans or whatever, you know, <laughs> like, I kind of think it was very young. And, uh, I, I just remember it was like, it was definitely, the, I, I do remember there, there was a professor in college that kind of changed. It was all kind of fun and games until this woman, um, uh, Joan Darling, who's an acting professor who had done movies. And she actually directed one of the most famous episodes of, of, of the Mary Tyler Moore show, but she was an amazing teacher. And, she was the one who kind of like reset, I think, my brain in terms of going from this is playing around to this is a serious craft. And like that's I, I remember that moment very specifically of being like, OK, this is not a game. Like it's like this, you know, professional filmmaking is a real skill that has to be developed and learned. And that's when it kind of went from fun and games to like, let's be real about this. This is a, a career that's going to be the rest of my life, basically. So. Right. Yeah. right. I mean, yeah. that's a, I mean, that, you know, that, that is always, uh, uh, for me, you know, uh, I didn't know, first of all, being a stand-up comic was like never part of the plan. You know, mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. kind of like, it just, you just kind of, I just kind of fell into it. And then I was just like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. actually, I actually don't entirely suck when I go on stage. So this <laughs> right. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. This might be doing it. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you guys feel like whenever you guys work on projects, do you always kind of, uh, you know, do you, do you kind of keep in mind uh, trying to do projects that, you know, speaks of cultures or mm-hmm. your culture background or other cultures? Or do you, are you guys more just interested, more story driven? Like if it's a story, it appeals to you, then you're going to write. Yeah, it. Um, that's a good question. I mean, I, 
I would say, you know, like we are filmmakers of color and I think there, there is a certain level of uh, responsibility to try to do more diverse stories, to be able to bring them to the fold. That mm-hmm. said, I don't think that we, we don't aim to just do that. I mean, like, you know, I think, I think it's one of those things where it, Hollywood tr- will tr- always tries to pigeonhole you. It will, tr- you know, many in Hollywood say, well, you're an Indian filmmaker. All you can do is Indian films. Or you're a black mm-hmm. filmmaker. All you can do is black yeah. films. And I think that's, that's that's unfair in most cases. In most cases, people have broader interests. You know, no one would ever say to a white male director, "You can only do white male movies." You know? um, and you know, and in that sense, like we we just look for good stories. What I will say though is that Elon and I really believe in like we never approach a story, whether we're writing it or directing it or or, or developing it, without finding a a thematic core that we feel like is saying something about society that will somehow benefit society in some way. Like, you know, we don't want to make preachy films, but there's no film that we make. Like, like we feel a really good movie is saying something about the world. Cause you know, cause it's kind of like my, my question with any movie, it's always going to be why make this movie? Like, yeah. is the world better or worse without this movie in it? And like, and I kind of feel like if you're not making a movie that somehow makes the world a little bit better, yeah. then then you shouldn't be making it. That's that's mm-hmm. kind of my my very real belief. I mean, in you know, for example, in Jin's case, yeah. you know, we saw an opportunity to sort of show Jordanian teenagers in a way that the world had never seen before. So like, you that's know, a kid in Ohio who has never who's only seen teens in homeland where they're playing terrorists, suddenly right. is seeing them as like a kid who's like cares about his homework or is worried about a crush. You know, with, with Evil Eye, we were very explicitly commenting on domestic abuse and trauma and kind of talking about the way that like the cycle of violence, like using it, using reincarnation as a metaphor for the cycle of abuse that women go through and kind of making a very clear statement and stand on it. Like it's something where like, I really believe you can tell commercial fun to watch genre, like, like stories that will appeal to a broad audience Mm -hmm. and still say something real. And I think, and I, I don't really honestly enjoy films that say nothing. I mean, they, you know, those films exist, but they're, sure. they're not really for me. I, I, I like films that, that say something, but I want to make commercial movies. I want to make films that like speak to, and there are certain filmmakers who I really admire who make films that are very accessible and say a lot, you know, Denis Villeneuve's films, Alfonso Cuaron's films, Steven Spielberg, like sure. they really don't make, like even Spielberg's most commercial movies have something to say at their core. That's right. they, yeah. they all have a lot of, of no. thematic depth and i think that's no, that's not an accident you know that's so right. That's right. you know what yeah. you mean so i i guess uh you're never gonna make a sharknado or dude where's my car uh so that's how well you know you know what's funny is that like i think there's some very silly movies that have some very serious things to say so like you know you say that but like i think you know bill and ted's excellent adventure is actually a really interesting commentary on like you know, desire for, to make an impact on the world. Like it's, it's something where I, like you'd be surprised how the silliest movie could, like, I haven't seen Dude, Dude, My Car in a long time and I haven't seen Sharknado, so I don't know what it's about, but I know what you mean, but actually it wouldn't surprise me if I do make a, a, a very broad comedy at some point, but it, but I won't make it unless I feel like there is something to be done with it. If that sure. makes sense, you know. Sure. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so. I, I honestly really uh I, I remember watching the trailer for Evil Eye, uh, which I'm very, mm-hmm. very excited to see. Um and it not gonna lie, it definitely creeped me out. But I mm-hmm. think it also creeped me out uh mainly because um 
I grew up with a lot of domestic violence, right? Like my mm-hmm. mom grew up with a lot of domestic violence. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think for me, you know, that scene where she's sitting and she's talking to her daughter and she's like, you know, uh, and, and, and to me that resonated on a, it, it goes back to your point where you were saying about horror of how it brings out these deep kind of rooted fears that you have about, you know, your own person and your own persona and your characters mm-hmm. and different things mm-hmm. that you've kind of grown up with. And it, although it's not like some creepy movie where it's like, you know, there's blood and gore and that's like freaking you out. It's just so primal. It was so mm-hmm. primal when I watched it uh, that it, it freaked me out, you know? Oh, because, thanks, thanks. Yeah. yeah. Because I am someone, uh, you know, who grew up with a lot of domestic violence. So it mm-hmm. kind of resonated on a very deep level to me when I watched it. And I was like, mm-hmm. whoa, this is yeah, like yeah. some really deep stuff coming at me, you know? Absolutely. Um, because- um, you know, you know yes. what's interesting about that is that uh, I think, you know, like something also about, about horror films, especially about topics like this, is that like I, I find that we always do a lot of research because what you can find is you find deeper levels to the primal fear the more you kind of know about it. So like, for example, domestic abuse is something that I haven't really experienced in my, in my. My personal direct life. What if I, oh wait, less than, you know, it's, it's not been a part of my life, which, which, you know, thankfully. Um, But so, so I, we actually spoke to an expert who works with human trafficking victims and worked with, with domestic abuse survivors. um, uh, um, Woman, Dr. Samantha Saleh, who, Basically, like she, she helped us understand that domestic abuse goes way beyond the kind of stereotype of the the guy and the wife beater or like hitting a woman. Like, there's all this kind of like um, uh, yeah. uh, psychological manipulation, you know, financial isolation, um, gaslighting, kind of isolating you from your friends. Like all right. these different tactics that, in many ways, can seem like, like good things can, you know, can seem to someone's benefit, but in reality, they're like designed to kind of like isolate a woman and make her feel dependent on her abuser, which is part of why abuse cycles. And I think that was, I mean, that was already present in the script from, from Madri Shekhar, but it, it helped us so much to understand these things because we often found opportunities to highlight them or to say, so like, if you watch the movie, you will see things that you'll initially think, Wow, that actually seems like a good thing he's doing. But then, when you you you'll rewatch it and think back and realize, oh wait, that that was totally a manipulation. Like, and I think that's a real. It, it was a it was a way to kind of like speak to it in a way that's much more insidious and yeah. much more terrifying because it's so much more real than just blood and gore and violence. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that's right. That's right. Because it is so, and it's also very, um, it's also very kind of everyday, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like this blood and gore, but it's also kind of everyday where it's just like, wow, you know, I've, uh, I, I've experienced that in my life. Like, I know what that's like to grow up with somebody who is, you know, emotionally that manipulative, who's going to have the complete control of your life and they can just, they can destroy you. Like, you know, totally. kind totally. of trying to like weave your way out of it without mm-hmm. getting destroyed you know i will say though for for all the horror fans out there there is plenty of blood and gore in the movie so <laughs> there is definitely violence you know as well as the... <laughs> i thought it was all emotional exactly there there is a, there is its its fair share of very intense violence i must say but <laughs> <laughs> well I, i'm really going to it so when is it being released for you 
Um, it comes out October 13th uh, on, on Amazon Prime, and uh, it'll be coming out. So, yes, yeah, so that's that's one week from, so it's basically five days from now, Tuesday of next week. Um, and uh, and by the way, there's also, there are drive-in events being held all over the United States um, okay. where people can go see it, actually hosted for free by Amazon. So they're free screenings with popcorn, and there's actually cool posters that are being, that you can uh, deliver. And there's like these really cool watch events being held a couple days later where you can kind of like live watch and go through these like cool virtual rooms and things all it's it's really an amazing uh array of different things that they're doing it's fantastic so that is amazing yeah um are you uh what like what are your kind of future plans yours and elon's do like the kind of Mm content that you guys want to kind of tackle and you know do you guys want to eventually be like studio heads like is that kind of <laughs> no. <thing? laughs> no 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 yeah. no we're we we honestly i i mean uh, i think we want to keep making movies um i think our our hope is to keep making uh, uh, uh tv shows and films you know primarily i think as directors writers and producers um and i think our our hope is to make uh, uh genre stories that are very character driven with a lot of intelligence that, that sort of speak to something real. I think that that'll always be, be kind of our mandate. So telling supernatural, sci-fi, uh, you know, action, um, but with very grounded drama and, you know, speaking of something real. And I think our, our hope would be to basically uh, have a production company that both produces their own films, but also uh, supports other filmmakers. I mean, I, I think the best case scenario would be in a position of someone like, uh, we're we're working with the Justin Lin on a project, um, you know, and his company, and okay. uh, you know, as an example, and so you know, Lin directs his own movies, but he also he's just producing this uh, project that we're working with him on, and um, and so it's something where like it would be like like I love that idea of like supporting up and coming filmmakers and like supporting a diverse roster of talent, people of color, women, as well as you know, but but as well as white men. I mean, I, I think it's something where I love the idea of just having a very diverse array of projects with different people as yeah. well as my own products that I'm developing. I think that's our hope. Um, yeah. You know, and I think if I had to kind of like name one director that we'd love to be doing their kind of work, I think yeah. it would be Denis Villeneuve. I think it's like, you know, I'd, I'd love to be able to go from Sicario to Dune. Like that would be from Arrival to Blade Runner. I mean, that, that would be the best case scenario, you know? Dude, so, that is so crazy. I was yeah. just going to talk mm-hmm. about Sicario with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of that film and just his work in general. And I think... I- being able to kind of ride that line or like Alfonso Cuaron, someone who I also admire a great deal. And I think I love the idea of, of doing a Harry Potter movie. I love the idea of doing, you know, uh, 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 I mean, I think it's that kind of range that it's very rare that someone does both, but I would happily be doing Marvel movies. I mean, I, I think that's where we want to be going is like bringing intelligence to these kind of like uh, commercial projects, but also doing intimate movies as well. And yeah, so that that's the goal. That's the hope, anyway. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, it all sounds amazing, and it all sounds very doable, Rajiv. I mean, you guys are you guys have had enough, long enough of a resume, mm-hmm. and establish yourself enough to you. be able to mm-hmm. go and you know tackle these bigger projects. I don't, I really don't see why not. But mm-hmm. do you ever um, before the pandemic? Um, mm-hmm. Did you, did you guys ever like sit down and watch your stuff on the big screen and are like, I can't watch my stuff. Like, do you guys go through that? Because I go through that. I'm like, oh, I can't watch Yeah. Um, I know it sounds weird, but I, I I know a lot of people who who can't watch their own material. I've heard that like, Adam Driver and Woody Allen can't, like they like literally just like when they're done, they just can't watch it. 
Um, mm-hmm. I'm not like that. I, I will, I, I mean, I sort of enjoy, even though like, like whenever I watch my own work, I'm constantly thinking about things I wish I had done differently. I'm constantly thinking about, ah, oh, I wish I had shot this shot or I, or I feel like this moment's too slow or this doesn't work. Um, but that said, I, I enjoy watching it because it really helps me, um, I think, get a sense of, okay, I know what this is and I know how I want to be better. You know, I'm constantly self-criticizing. I never want to kind of be satisfied with anything. So it helps yeah. me go back and watch my earlier work. You know, I've, you know, Evil Eye, I will watch, you know, at the drive-in. I will watch again during the watch party and I will watch it. And I will, you know, because honestly, I do also, I enjoy the parts that work, you know, mm-hmm. and I very much like, and, I, and also I, I think I also find that I really, I enjoy admiring the work of my collaborators. So I enjoy yeah. watching how, how great the cinematography is because of our DP Yarn Levy. I enjoy the costumes, but, you know, you like Colin, I, I, I enjoy the brushes. It's just like, they're, they're like, like when you work with great collaborators, film yeah. allows you to enjoy their work and i think that's part of why i will never act i'm not an in front of the camera person i'm behind the camera person so i i think i would be like you if i was acting i would not want to watch myself act but yeah direct i'll, I'll watch <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah. yeah i think i guess that will be that will be a lot different for me it's just like uh Sometimes I watch my stand-up stuff or I'm just like, ah, I can't watch it. Yeah. I, I listen to it. I'm a very auditory person. I'm not I'm a, a visual, I'm secondary, but I'm more auditory. So mm-hmm. for me, it's all about just listening. Like I just mm-hmm. want to listen to what's got going it, on. Got it. Um, mm-hmm. it, it it's, it's always fascinating to me about, you know, it, uh, can we just talk about Sicario for one minute? Please? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Absolutely. Kid, like obsessed. So I remember watching the first one and I'm like, what is this badass movie? And I'm like, how the hell is he going to top this one? This is amazing. It's like perfect. How is he going to? Mm-hmm. Wrong. Mona's wrong. Comes up <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, Sicario 2 is even better than Sicario. Uh, the first one. I have not seen two yet. So, <laughs> but, oh but I love this one. Yeah. Oh, dude. Oh, I'll dude. check it out. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. It's just, uh, it, it's just amazing. You know, I watch a movie like Sicario, and um, I kind of, as a creative person, look at that, and I'm like, man, I'd love to see, like, a movie like that, um, that, you know, because we have, I don't know if you've heard, uh, we have a lot of good hashish uh, coming out of uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan. Absolutely. And I was like, man, I would love to see, like, the Pakistan, the Afghani version of Sicario. Like, how incredible... Yeah, I mean, that, that you know, I, I think there's real opportunity for, for that kind of thing, because I, I agree with you. I think there is, you know, we've, we've seen a certain type of story done by Hollywood. You know, most drug stories tend to do with, like, the U.S.-Mexico border or, like, you know, cocaine trade or narcos, which, you know, I'm a huge fan of. I mean, I love a, I love a lot of the stories, but, but you're right. Like, I think telling those kind of movies, but in different settings we haven't seen before, like, I love the idea of seeing, I would, I would, like, happily watch a uh you know afghanistan pakistan set sicario type of story that's commenting on the cultural setting and the drug trade and the kind of like particular challenges of that of that place i think you know like trick is always going to be what's these like knowing what's specific about that like why is it interesting what's interesting about of course it is interesting it's just but it's the why the why is always the question it's, it's why in every project, especially when it deals with, deals with culture, I, I want to understand what is specific about it. Because I think the more, I, I really believe the more specific you are, 
the more universal a story becomes. I think mm. when you try and make something that's sort of too general, it kind of pleases yeah. nobody. Like the, we go to the movies to, to, to be given a window into something. And so yeah. I, I love the idea of like, I mean, that sounds awesome. So, and uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll look into see. Well, I've got a lot of cool more ideas coming out of this noggin right here. They sounds usually good. don't come out, but once in a while they do. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Usually not possible so, most of the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so, no, I mean, I, I listen, I, I, I'm a fan of yours. I'm a fan of your brothers. And I think, you what you guys have, you know, single-handedly. And you know what I absolutely love is that you guys are very, um, and as you are right now, like you guys are very humble about it. You know, there's oh, no, yeah. there's no like this, yeah, we're like these people, <laughs> probably guys. You know, you guys are just like, yeah, we do like big shit and we're t-shirts, like cool, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I, really I mean, you know, that. it's there's, there's nothing I, I dislike more in Hollywood than, people kind of putting on airs and like pretension. Like yeah. I can always tell at a, at a, you know, Hollywood party or something when someone kind of thinks high themselves, like I, I do what I do. I care about what I do. Um, yes. It is, I know how incredibly difficult it is to navigate this business, to get, to get anything made is so That's hard. Right. I feel right. so lucky to, to be able to have done anything. And I, I'm sort of always, uh, I'm always aware that like you have to fight, fight, fight to make things that are great. It's so difficult. And so yep. I just, I, I never want to forget that. I don't ever want to be in a position where I feel so kind of successful or protected that somehow I forget that. Cause I think it's like the minute you forget that you, your work suffers as a result, you know, and yep. I just care about making great work. So, and I think the, the work matters more than the ego. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Uh, mm -hmm. and now what, what kind of, I mean, I, I know you, uh, I'm sure you have projects that are, you are working on maybe some mm -hmm. of them are, Top notch, ten top secret. Uh, <laughs> sure. Are, uh, but uh, are you guys? I mean, shooting is completely grounded, right? Now, right, right, with you. I mean, it's it's not totally grounded. We, we we've had a couple things. We've actually shot even something very small um, that we shot a couple months ago. But uh, you in know, LA, um, in LA, overseas. But but um, I'm in LA, but done under kind of COVID protocols. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, things are very difficult right now. They they are. Overseas, it's easier. You know, there there is shooting happening right now in Canada. There's some shooting in LA, um, but uh, most of our projects right now are in development. So we're we're basically developing. Yeah, we we have um, you know we have a, a kind of sci-fi feature that that would be shot next year. We have a TV series that she said in India that we're developing, um, okay. and uh, you know a couple of the things that are kind of in in like you know uh, various stages. So we're just trying to figure out, I think, yeah. what can be done and and what's what. Uh, like what will the industry look like? Like how do we get things done after yeah. this? I, I think a lot has really been, I think honestly a lot of people that we were working with have been waiting for Evil Eye to come out so they, they can kind of get a sense of where are we at now. It's, it's always, you know, Hollywood's always, uh, you know, you're only as good as your last project basically. So it's right. like exactly. one of those things where, you know, exactly. it's, um, uh, but we're very, very proud of it. And and I think, um, I, I hope people enjoy it, but I feel like it really does like, like, like the best I can say is a film or, or series represents who I am and what I'm capable of, you know? And like, as long as I can say that I basically am satisfied because I, I just want to be able to say, this is what I can do. If you want to work with me or, or, or on one of my projects, that's great. Like, I don't want to pretend like I'm something I'm not. So like my, my films, I think represent me and, and Elon yeah. feels the same. And that's, that's what's nice. It's nice to have a body of work, a small one, that said, yeah. this is who we are. We want to keep going, you know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's great. 
are you guys more focused on television? Are you guys more focused on film? What's kind of like, um, or, or just... I think it's, I think it's both. I mean, you know, I would say uh, we, we, we have done both. Um, yeah. and I think we, we really enjoyed making a feature. I mean, there is something very kind of like focused about it. I think what television, what's wonderful is that, um, is that you can tell longer narratives. Like you can, you know, you can kind of tell a broader story. Um, so I think we love the idea of both. I think it really depends on the project. We, we are developing both. And I think we'd love to be directing both. What I will say is that even though we've done a lot of writing as well as directing, I think we see ourselves primarily as directors. So I think in, in that sense, um, uh, uh, features are more of a director's medium, whereas television tends to be more of a writer's medium. You know, the, the showrunner, the, the the head writer. Right. Is kind of the like king of castle on it. Um, and so in that sense, I think features are kind of like, I think we would ideally end up primarily in features, but I just, I love good television. I think there's a reason why the best filmmakers right now are working in both avenues, features yeah. as well as television. So, do you feel like, you know, remember when being like a film actor was a really big deal in the 90s, mm-hmm. you know, and the 2000s kind of began to take a little bit of a dive. And mm-hmm. now it's just like actors kind of go in and out of both genres, like out of both, like, I mean, mm-hmm. both TV and film, these two mediums. Yeah. Yeah. Do you mm-hmm. feel like, do you feel like, it's now the age more of television than film. I, I think it's both. I mean, I, I actually think there's not the, the, the difference between the two is lessening quite a bit. I think that, you know, that we're getting uh, TV series that have filmic uh, basically production value and, and, and quality. I think they're kind of yeah. ebbing into each other. So I, I almost feel like the idea of, of you being just one or just the other is kind of going away. And like, yeah. you know, and, and I also think you're right that there's a level to which they kind of like, celebrity driven uh kind of uh series it's still there like the idea of a, of a movie being grounded by robert Downey jr or like something like that it's, it's still there but i think it's lessening i i think audiences there's so much content now that yes. i think we've we've come to an age where what, what they care about now is quality and i yeah. think now quality is king whether it be feature or television Yes. It's just what's something good and not just good, but what's something unique, what's something new. Like people want to be surprised. You know, yeah. they, they, I, I think it's so, there's so many streaming services, so many movies, so many TV series that everyone's searching for what's the thing that will kind of make noise that will yeah. pop out for some reason. And that's, yeah. I think part of why actually diverse stories are doing well because they're new and they're sort of something you know, it's like, well, our film looks different than a lot of the other films on the services. And that's, I think, uh, to our right. benefit, you know, that's so, great. so, um, I mean, I'll, I'll be interested to see what happens. It was like, I, I do think it's all just going to merge. I think the idea of, I almost feel like the, even the idea of Emmys and Oscars will kind of start to merge together because it's like, there's, there's a lot of questions right now of like, wait, is this movie in a TV movie or is it a movie movie? You know, it's like, right. is, the, is right. the Irishman a TV movie? I don't think so. Like, you know, so quote unquote, you know, so. I have a question, Rajiv. Is that a child or a cat in the background? That is a cat. So That is uh, a cat. Yes, uh, I, because I do not have a kid, I sometimes <laughs> I cannot tell apart. Um, now you have a kid, right, Rajiv? I do, I do. I have two. I have a, I have a seven-year-old and I have a, a, a four-year-old. And uh, so a seven-year-old boy, four-year-old girl. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah so, yes. <laughs> and, and does Elon have kids, too? Do you guys like um, the... He does not, no. <laughs> wow, so you guys are so, very different on that. 
Yeah, yeah. In that sense, we are. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's living a very different lifestyle than me at the moment. And uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I I think he will at some point. I'm, I'm not, you know, it's a, I, I, at least my parents are hoping so. But we'll see. <laughs> oh my god, are you trying so, yeah. kind of him? Is like, beta, have a child already? You know, I mean, they they are Indian parents. Like they're they they are very progressive as Indian parents go. But I mean, yeah. there is. There's certain things that are kind of like ingrained in a, in a South Asian parent, I think. So I know, I know all about that. Right? My, my yeah. mom has just given up on me at this point, which is like <laughs> perfect it. place to be. There you which, go. <laughs> this is perfect. perfect. Like, I'm never going to hear from you. This is great. Now, Rajiv, mm-hmm. is it just you and Ilan, or do you guys have other siblings also? Uh, we have two step siblings. So, so we have okay. siblings, yeah, from, uh, so it's basically uh, you know, from a stepmom. And, uh, but we, we knew them quite young. So we think that they really are just our brothers. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, they're, they're wonderful. And like, they're, they're, uh, yeah. So, they, but it's just four of us, but really my brother and I have, have sort of been kind of on each other's team for a long time. I think it's really yeah. been the two of us and we're very close and we've yeah. kind of always gone to, I mean, until USC, we we had gone to school together. Uh, really throughout like you know college and high school um and even though we have very different lives and kind of you know very different kind of social circles often we still like because especially now we work together we've always kind of ended up working together we've always been in business together and i don't really see that changing i just think we we kind of complement each other and that's been really beneficial to both of us you know so yeah yeah that's wonderful that's wonderful Yeah. yeah Because, uh, you know, it's like you, you have kids and he doesn't have kids and he's like, hey, man, living the single life. And you're just like, <laughs> no, no. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Changing yeah. diapers in the middle of the night is so much fun. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's everything has its pros and cons, and everything is rewarding. And uh, you know, there's there's always some grass is always greener, but it's uh, no, they're they're wonderful, and and really, they my my kids have given me a lot of perspective. I think on mm. storytelling and filmmaking, on what matters in the world, um, yeah. especially this year, it's been very like it's been a challenging year uh, sure. for everybody, but especially for parents. And I, I think it's yeah. been interesting to kind of um. observe that and try and figure out yeah yeah absolutely i feel like um did you kind of have like this kind of um did you have some kind of like a spiritual thing a lot of people are just like you know the pandemic is really making you kind of step back and really kind of realize what's really important in life most right it's not a reality show um, Mm -hmm. getting butt implants or you know (laughs) right that's Mm -hmm getting boob jobs like that is not the focus of life like uh what's really have you kind of personally been kind of experiencing that throughout this pandemic or what has that been like yeah i mean i i would say that's the case you know it's it's been interesting that i i feel like what's what the pandemic's really shown me is is what actually matters because when you kind of strip away the ability to go to a restaurant to meet friends at a bar to to really do anything um, you know, because it's like, I, I feel like I've, I've noticed how much less I need, like in some ways, like, like I cook much, much more, you know, than I did yeah. before. And like, just like, I realized how little I actually do need. And in some ways, I mean, you know, weirdly my life didn't change that much because I wasn't that social anyway. Like I'm, I'm sort of like, you know, I work a lot. I, a lot of my day is sitting at a computer writing. So it's kind of like something where in that sense, you know, I, but I have felt like I've realized that I just need less and that it's like, it's, yeah. it's okay. And like, it's sort of like what, what matters, like what's even what stories you tell 
I feel like has been, you know, like, like has been affected. I'm very like, what actually, like, we have a very short window on this planet. We don't know what's going to happen. And I feel like we've all been shown how precious and how uh, capricious life is and death is really. And in that sense, using our time properly matters. And so I, I, I'm a little bit more thoughtful about what stories I choose to tell than I think I even was a year ago, because it is like, okay, what's the point of this? Like, like I kind of asked myself, like, why, why make this, you know, it's like, why, why not do something else, you know? And it's just like, and, 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 you know, something also when you, as you know, like any film or TV series you make, like if you make a film, it's minimum a year or two years of your life. If you make a TV series, it could be five years of your life. Like it's something where that's, it's a huge commitment. And so what you pitch, you better care about because you better, you You'll probably have to continue to pitch it. You need to talk about it. You know, I mean, I can't tell, you know, I've, I'm on, inter- this is interview like 200 for Evil Eye. You know what I mean? Exactly. Which is like, I, I enjoy it, but it is like, you realize, wow, I've talked a lot about this movie. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like, like, you, know, and, and you, you better love it or you're just BSing the whole time, you know? So. <laughs> you know for so. me, but you, like when I bring my guests on, I like to also, you know, besides their work, I also like to get to know them personally because mm-hmm. everything comes from that, right? Mm-hmm. Everything, creativity, like everything you have in life, it comes from that place. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, for you, like artistically, how do you feed yourself? Like, how do you kind of, you know, do you meet mm-hmm. the, the kids with the with you know with the significant other, and then you're just like, mm-hmm. I need two hours just to write this out. Like, how do you kind mm-hmm. of balance that life? You know? Yeah, um, uh, the balance is tough. I mean, like it's 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 definitely tough to to do that kind of thing. I feel like I do, like I find myself needing to kind of schedule time really carefully. But I also find that it's like, I, I just, you know, it's, it's very intense. So it's just like, I, I do pay very close attention to uh, deadlines, but I think a lot of the key to it is like, yeah, you, you have to actively schedule time away. Like you have to tell yourself this weekend, I'm not going to be working this weekend. I'm, you know, I'm going to be free or like, you know, if I go on a trip or, or something like, it's almost like I have a schedule relaxation or schedule like yeah. you know, time with the kids because they, because I, I am the type who can just, I can just work 14 hours a day, every day, seven days a week and kind of like not even notice like time, you know, months, years would pass, you know, and, mm. and it's not good for you ultimately to do that. And it's something I, I will, I will freely admit, I, I have to fight a little bit the instinct to just like, you know, I, I get antsy when I'm not working. Like it's, it's hard for me not to sort of like want to get back to the laptop and that's, that's something yeah. I, I, I've had to kind of learn to fight against. And, and yeah. you know, like, cause I do think ultimately it's like what you lose if you do that, you actually lose uh, life. Like life is like, why, why make stories? If it's not about something. And so experiencing the world, it's like, I, I think a lot of film students, like they find this, they're so concerned about being a filmmaker. They forget that, that you need to like something in your life has to inform what you're doing. Like you have to care about something. Yes. and know about something you know what i mean yeah. like yeah. otherwise what are you making films about <laughs> so, that's right that's right i mean for me uh i think i don't think i've ever felt so mortal before i don't mm. think i've ever been so aware of my finite time on this mm-hmm. planet mm-hmm. um i don't think i've ever kind of valued um health so much yeah yeah because when you're young you're just like oh i'm young i'm healthy and this and that and then uh COVID, this pandemic comes along and then young people i have a friend of mine young guy um 
got COVID, um, left lung of his has collapsed permanently. Wow. He, he has breathing problems for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're just like, wow, this is, this is very, very real. Like this is something that you can just have or you can die from it. Like this is like death is very, very prominent in a way that I don't think it has ever been for the rest of the world together in modern times. Right, mm-hmm. like we mm-hmm. haven't had the bubonic plague, right? Yeah, it was you're right, you're different. right. Uh, everybody is just like, Wow, we are in this death journey together, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a death lurking everywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. it might not affect you, but it may affect you know your parent or your uncle or somebody, you know. It's just like, Yeah, it's we've never, and, yeah, yeah, we've never faced something that was on a global scale, and you know, because you right. know, it's something where I think a lot of other countries. And I think it's something Americans actually like we're facing for real for the first time in a long time where, right. you know, it's, it's like, it's been a long time since we were seeing Americans actively die. So I think we unfortunately have a capacity to kind of not think about uh, war or famine or uh, illness in other countries. And I think that's unfortunate. And I actually feel like this experience has shown us that the entire world can be affected by something we can be affected and, and as you said, it, it does, it does matter. And it, it's hopefully helps us have a bit more empathy for, you know, our, our fellow human being. I mean, you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely more aware of my health and, and of, yeah. you know, of others and just being more cautious. And, it, and honestly, it makes me crazy seeing, seeing people being careless. Cause I, you know, every time I like, you know, go out to the grocery store and I see crowds of like 20 somethings, uh, not wearing masks on oh, like, Melrose, it makes me nuts. You know, it's like, I just, I'm just like, ah, this is crazy. You yep. know, it's just like how, you know, I mean, and, and I, I know they feel like they're indestructible, but knowing that they're putting others at risk and that like, okay, they, they, they may be fine, but they might kill someone's grandmother. is like, That's it's really right. unfortunate. I feel very like frustrated by that, but. Yeah. You know, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you guys have little kids, so you guys have to be even extra cautious, right? Mm-hmm. It's like. Yeah. Yeah. No one's coming home. Uh, just wave goodbye. Just drive by and just wave, and you can just give me a call, right? And, and yeah. you just yeah. about yeah. everything. Uh, well, um, I'm gonna start wrapping up, man. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, this has been such a great conversation, Rajiv. I am, uh, and so glad you're so kind for coming on. And I know the last time I communicated with you was back in 2011. Um, <laughs> sure. No, it's amazing. I know it's like uh, many years ago, but uh, no, it's been a real pleasure. And like, thank you for uh, yeah, it was just fun to chat. And uh, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm so excited. So October thirteenth, Evil Eyes mm-hmm. coming out on Amazon mm-hmm. Prime. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. It'll be there. And uh, yeah, and actually, it's it's part of an entire block of films. So it's it's part of a slate of uh, interesting, diverse horror thrillers, um, and they're all fantastic. I you know I've seen them all. So. The first four are Evil Eye, The Lie, Black Box, and Nocturne. And we're airing at the same night as a film called Nocturne. And they're all fascinating. I, I recommend checking them all out. And uh, all produced by Blumhouse and Amazon. So. And are they are they all like spooky as hell? Do I have to have someone next to me while I watch um, They are all scary in different ways. Yes. Yes, that's How right. How much so. weed do I have to smoke just to go to <laughs> and not have nightmares with you? Uh, probably a fair amount, depending on the film. And uh, some are trippier than others. Um, I think uh, I would definitely say Nocturne and um, and Black Box are pretty trippy. The Lie is very good. It's it's, it's a different kind of trippy and dark. So it's uh, they're just all kind of different you know, like levels. Um, so. Okay, but, so, I'm, so I'm not sleeping basically. Exactly, exactly. But they're all. You know, I will say. These are all like it's a buzzword. These, but they're all elevated thrillers. They're all very sophisticated, 
dramas. They're kind of not uh, silly slashes or something like that. These are like very good movies. So it's like something where like for those who like a drama, I think you'll also be satisfied. These aren't just quote unquote scary movies. So Sure, sure, yeah. sure. They have uh, all these multi dimensions to them. Absolutely. So Rajiv, this this is wonderful. Rajiv, do you like people to follow you on social media yeah, or Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm 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 totally a social media person. I'm I'm definitely uh one of the people who likes interacting with uh, you know, an audience of the people. So please uh, feel free to follow me on Instagram and Twitter and uh yeah, please. So <laughs> what, 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 what's your handle or what's your oh yeah yeah uh, my my handle is uh, uh, my last name Dasani R so at Dasani R uh, both on Instagram and Twitter and uh, yeah so very awesome. cool Rajiv <laughs> cool. you are so awesome man thank you very much for joining this was great thank you so much appreciate it thank you that was a wonderful and amazing Rajiv Dasani um, I had a fabulous time talking to him uh, I'm sure you did too so uh um, if you haven't followed me on YouTube yet, please do. You can go to my YouTube channel uh, and follow me there. I am literally at the verge of hitting 600 subscribers. So if you haven't hit subscribe to my channel, please do. It would mean the world to me. I will be back tomorrow, 6.15 Pacific. Actually, no, I lied. I will be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Oh, it's a little early. I know. I'm sorry, regular viewers. Um, 11 a.m. Pacific because I have a, uh, a friend calling in from London. He is fabulous. He is uh, doing some groundbreaking stuff um, when it comes to really, uh, you know, there's more like of a think tank um, that is bringing together cultures and religions and governments together. And they do some really, really big stuff uh, on a pretty massive scale. So I'm very excited to have him tomorrow, but I will see you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. And if you, you're not able to catch the live stream, you can always watch it later. Um, other than that, Guys, this was our show today. Thank you very much for tuning in, as always. I love you guys. Thank you for your love and support. James, Mark, great to see you guys. I will see you guys tomorrow, 11 a.m. Pacific, not 6.15. Have a good night.